0: Good morning, church. I appreciate you being here today. I thank you for representing our God with your presence in his house. I was uh, thinking as we were singing a little bit earlier about how the church has impacted my life. And I can stand here and honestly say to you that had it not been for the church, I wouldn't be alive today. I wouldn't be saved uh, I found my way into God's family through the ministry of my home church. And it was an awesome thing to, to be able to see them ministering to me and to my family and, and to be saved because they cared about their neighbor. I also uh, was thinking this morning as I was doing my devotion. You know, we, we hear that phrase, count your blessings, name them one by one. I was counting my blessings and, and uh, I found out that God had really blessed me this week. And I just want to share a few of those blessings. I I had the privilege yesterday of participating in a funeral. uh, And I say it was a privilege because uh, the the, the gentleman that uh, had passed away this week was my brother in the Lord. And uh, he he went on to be with Jesus this week. He got his promotion. And uh, while we were sad, we were celebrating at the same time. And it was a good thing to see. God working even in tragedy like, like death. Um, I, I counted another blessing in that uh, I got a call the other night and my niece and nephew that I did there, my, my nephew and, and his uh, fiance or his wife now that uh, we did the wedding for back in June, they called to let us know they're expecting a, a baby. So I'm gonna be a great uncle again. And then um, I also got word this week from my other nephew, his brother, whom I'm going to do their wedding in, in, in December. I, I, got, I got word from them that even though they bought a house already and they were living together, they let me know that they have decided because of godly counsel to live separate until they get married. God's, that's God. That's God. And they wanted me to know that. And uh, they're doing the things that I asked them to do. And uh what a beautiful thing it is to see God at work in lives. Had a great time this week. Had opportunity to do a little bit work, a little bit more work on my grandson's uh tree house. It's, not, it's actually not a treehouse, it's a tree stand. We're going we're gonna we're calling it a tree stand, it'll probably wind up being a tree house, but we, we're building it out behind the house, and, and he has been just uh, amazed at, as it's gone up. I took him out yesterday and showed him some of the things that I've done this week, and he wanted to get in it. And I said, not yet. I don't have the rails up, and I don't want you to get hurt. So uh, anyway, been a good week. I also saw God working this week, and uh, I saw a, a young friend of mine come to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior And so I'm excited about that, a young man in his 20s. And so I I praise God. I also uh, am very pleased that last Sunday when we had our first night, Sunday night study going through kingdom marriage, we had great attendance. I think we've got about 76 signed up for that. Uh, And I had some calls yesterday uh, wanting to know if it was too late to get involved. And I said, no, come. It's a great study on biblical marriage Uh, Joyce and I love it, we've learned a lot from it. This is actually the second time that we've gone through this study. And and I'm becoming more and more of the opinion that every married couple ought to go through this kingdom marriage study. It is just that good material. Um, I'm even thinking about trying to figure out how to fit that into pre-marriage counseling. It's that good. Kingdom marriage is for people who are married it's for people who were married. It's for people who are thinking about being married. It's for people who are married and your, your marriage is good and healthy, but you can learn some things from this so that you can help others when they're struggling with their marriage. It's, it's got a lot of benefits. It's uh, just a great study. Uh, Tony Evans had a goal, and his goal was this. It's to help people understand what God had in mind when he created the institution of marriage. And if you watched or if you read uh, from last week, you'll know that he, he talks about a lady that was struggling with her marriage. And she came to him for counsel. And she said, You know, I was looking for the ideal. It became an ordeal. And now I want a new deal. <laughs> a lot of people struggle with marriage. He goes on to say that when you're looking for, you look at a lot of relationships today, it looks like it's been birthed by the secretary of war and not the justice of the peace because there's so much conflict. And yet, how could such an awesome institution, such as marriage, which is the foundation of the family, the foundation of civilization, be in such disrepair? That's a profound question you've heard me say through the years as goes the family so goes the church and as goes the church so goes the nation and and that that's why satan is shooting his fiery darts at the family today more and more and we see it because you see his his theory is take out the family and everything else crumbles and that's why he works so hard so why is why are marriages in disrepair today in disarray uh Dr. Evans answers that question by saying this. He said, I'd like to suggest that it's because there's been a disconnect from what God had in mind related to his kingdom and how we are defining it and how we are living it out in our lives today. You see, the theological foundation from marriage is is not to be disconnected from God's kingdom purposes in the world. And thus, when we think about marriage, it shouldn't just be that we're thinking about marriage, but that we're thinking about kingdom marriage. He says the unifying theme of scripture is the glory of God through the expansion of his kingdom in the world. Everything that God does, he intends to plug into his kingdom. When marriage gets disconnected from the bigger purpose and cause, that's when it is inviting the greater possibility of disintegration and conflict well my friends if that's true in marriage just think how much more true it is in the church if the institution of marriage is so critical to the work that God is doing in our world then so is the institution of the church and even more so I quoted Dr. Evans last week in my Sermon, as saying that the church is God's alternative to history or alternative in history to the world. You think about it. you got two choices today. In, in one choice, you, you've got what Satan offers, and that is the things of the world. And what God is offering you is life in the church. And, and quite honestly, and you saw it on the video, you picked one or the other. But God's alternative to the world is the church because it's in the church that we learn everything we need to know about living for God. He goes on to say that although it was always in God's plan, the church is a mystery that was not revealed to earlier generations of his people. It was uniquely created to be God's institution for two things. One, for developing Christians and two, for impacting the world. That's why the church exists. Rick Warren narrows it down and becomes even more specific when he says the church is God's agenda in the world. If you want to see what God is trying to do, look through the church. Now, I understand that there's been a lot of of negativeness through the church. I was also reminded this week in my study that, that we have an enemy out there. Uh, Peter talked talk to, talk to us about him being a wolf. And, and, and he says, wolves come in sheep clothing. There's a lot of bad things that happen in the church. But that doesn't negate that God has established the church and desires to work through the church and his work will be done through the church. In fact, Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. You and I need to understand that the church that Jesus established is going to exist in eternity forever and ever and ever. It is indestructible. It will outlive the earth. It will outlive the universe. And so will your role in it if you're a Christian. That's right. You have a role as a believer in in the church. You have a job to do. And, and, And we looked at this scripture a couple of weeks ago. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that under God's direction, the whole body is fitted together. As each part does its own special work, it helps all the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If you're a Christian, Then God has some kingdom work for you to do, and for any professing Christian to say I don't need the church or I don't want to be a part of the church is either arrogant or ignorance. The church is so important and so significant in what God is doing that Jesus came and He died for it on the cross. Jesus died for the church. He died for the church. Paul says Christ loved the church so much that he gave his life for it. There are several words or phrases used throughout scripture that are synonymous with the word church. It's called the way or the people of the way. It is always synonymous when you're you're referring to Christians, you think of the church. It's also been called the bride of Christ or the body of Christ. Now you think about that, if we're the bride of Christ and we're the body of Christ, can you imagine yourself saying to Jesus, you know I love you but I don't like your wife? (laughs) Can you imagine saying to him, I'm willing to accept you but I don't want anything to do with your body? John wrote, If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a what? A liar. Or if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we have not seen? I talk to a lot of people. And what I've found is that most people don't come right out and say, I hate church. But how often do we see or hear people demeaning the church, putting it down, or complaining about the church, or even dismissing the relevance or the need for the church today? It's out there. That's what the world does. And sometimes that's what we do. But friends, God has commanded us to love the church just like Jesus did. Amen? He's commanded that. Peter said, show respect for everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Fear God. Rick Warren said, sadly, many Christians use the church but don't love it. Today's culture of independent individualism has created many spiritual orphans. He calls them bunny believers who hop around from one church to another without any identity, accountability, or commitment. He said many believe that one can be a good Christian without joining or even attending a local church, but he said God would would strongly disagree with that. Friends, if you're a Christian like I am, then we need to understand that based on the word of God, we all need to be a part of the family of God because we need spiritual neighbors, We need spiritual neighbors. We need brothers and sisters who have a kindred spirit with us. Praise God. He's provided a way to do that. I want to share with you an email. You know, I said the other day I was probably going to get some bad emails. I didn't get a one. I had a few people grumble. But I got a good email. And I like to share those treasures because it wasn't written to me. It was written to you. It was written to the church. And you're gonna like what I read. It comes from a man by the name of Mark Wright. His wife was one of the teachers that came to our cutting party that we had for the teachers several weeks back. We gathered over at the other building and and we we helped the teachers cut all the stuff they had to cut out to put on their bulletin boards for a a great while. I had one young lady say, you just don't know with tears in her eyes. She said, you just don't know how much time you've saved me. It would've taken me weeks, months to cut all this stuff out and we've done it in an hour and a half. I said, well, you know, that's what we're here for. But this is a letter from a teacher's husband And he says, good morning, my name is Mark, and my wife, Ann, attended your teacher event. I meant to write you when I first learned what you were doing for our teachers in the area, but life intervened, and I forgot to do it. He said, my wife just received a thank you letter in the mail for attending your event. And in capital letters, he then says, a thank you letter, exclamation point. He said, your church embodies what Jesus said in Mark 12, 30 and 31. This is a great example of loving your neighbor. He said, I couldn't believe that you were doing this for all the teachers in the area. And then I learned what you did and and what my wife was given to bring home. He said, you guys are amazing. You have no idea what this means to my wife and in capital letters, and to me, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. He said, I was thinking, what if, what if every church in the United States did this for teachers? What a huge difference it would make. Teachers go through a lot. He said, I was unaware of just what they go through until I married my wife. This unbelievably kind gesture that you put together is overwhelming me. Please thank your congregation and anyone who helped with this event. You are truly living out, being the hands and the feet of Jesus. May God richly bless your church. Amen. Amen. I think it was Jesus who said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he said, the second command that is important is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that raises a very important question. Just who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Teachers are our neighbors, policemen, firefighters. First responders of all kinds. The lady who served your meal at the restaurant the other day when you ate out. Even the guy in the back, the cook, who cooked your meal is your neighbor. We have neighbors all over, everywhere. The family that's living next to you is your neighbor. The the people that live across the street and even down the road, they're your neighbors. And Jesus basically says in this passage that if you want to prove that you love God, then love your neighbor just as you love yourself. Love your neighbor. Not only do you have neighbors living next to you, but I want you to know this morning, you have some neighbors sitting next to you. You have some that are seated behind you. You have some that are seated in front of you. You have neighbors all around you. We've got a lot of neighbors here this morning. we got some neighbors that aren't here this morning. But we got a lot of neighbors here. My question is, do you know your neighbor? Do you know your neighbor's name? If you don't, See Joanna, she's got a name tag out there in the foyer. If she doesn't have one for you, she can get you one. Now you say, Brother Randy, why do I have to wear that old name tag? It's because if you really wanna know your neighbor, then you need to know your neighbor's name. And if if you're like me, names don't always stick. We got a new couple sitting right back there. Ryan, raise your hand. That's that's all I'm gonna do, I'm not gonna embarrass you, you don't have to stand and talk. But his name is Ryan. That is a miracle that I remember that. (laughs) I am 63 years old, okay? We all have that problem, don't we? If you don't, you will. (laughs) But if you wear this name tag, then they'll know your name and and, and and what they need to know and, and y'all check me out on this. Next week when you come there'll be a name tag out, out there for you. Right, Joanna? It'll be just like this. It'll be there for you waiting on you. See her. She'll take care of you. But see, we, we need to know each other. We, we, we need to know our neighbor. It's important that you know who your neighbor is. We all need neighbors. Thank God for neighbors. We We all have them. We we certainly need spiritual neighbors. Some of you like to camp. I do. Have you ever tried to light a fire with a single log and just a little bit of kindling wood? You can light it and it'll start well, but when the kindling burns out, it's usually not enough to get the log burning. So it'll slowly die out, leaving nothing behind but some smoldering embers and uh, a little bit of smoke and a single charred log. Guys, that's loneliness personified. A single log. We don't need to be a single log. You know, if you'll put several of those logs together with different size limbs and logs in that pile, Put a little bit of kindling in there and some fresh air and light it and it won't be long before you will have a blazing fire. That same principle works in a local church. You see, every week, people make their way into this worship center depressed, defeated, discouraged, I've watched some of you. You can barely drag yourself in here. And quite honestly, some days I can barely drag myself in here. That's the nature of the beast. That's who we are. We're humans. But then the music starts. We have a short time of fellowship and we pray and we we read from God's word and a sermon is preached and, and slowly your outlook on life begins to change and brighten. Why? Because you've encountered some more logs that have been added to the fire. And and you combine that with the fresh air of God's spirit moving among us. The result, that's the result of a lot of people coming together with God and, and the fellowship of God's people and the moving of God's spirit. It encourages us and it helps us to be on fire for God. Well, I got news for you. The church needs your spark every Sunday as we gather to keep the fire burning. That's our job. That's, that's, that's what we're for. That's, that's part of why we're to be here. It needs your involvement. It also needs your participation. I want you to know that by God's design, he's intentionally meant for there to be a whole lot of benefits associated with being a part of a properly functioning, biblically centered church family. And I want you to know that God has done his part. He has. He's he's gifted every believer. He's gifted us. Uh, Every Christian has the indwelling Holy Spirit living in us, and every Christian has at least one spiritual gift to use in ministry. So, So God's done his part. But those benefits that we've been talking about are only activated and attained when each member does its part. You ever tried to put a jigsaw puzzle together when you know there's pieces missing? (laughs) If you know the pieces are missing out of that puzzle, you leave it on the shelf, don't you? But every now and then you'll try to put it together and it's frustrating because you know from the start that it's never going to be complete. Jigsaw puzzles are designed with different Features too in particular. If you remember, each piece has protrusions and also indentations. The protrusions represent our strengths, our gifts, our talents, our passions, our abilities. And the indentations can and represent our weaknesses, the faults that we have, the limitations, our shortcomings, those areas in our life that haven't fully developed yet. Every jigsaw puzzle has those two features and so does the church. Every church has members with strengths and with weaknesses. But what's, a, what's beautiful is that when, when you assemble all of that together, the pieces, the members of the puzzle, they complement each other. And they blend inconspicuously and they even produce a beautiful picture. Well, friends, the, the same thing is true for the church. As individuals, we're not that beautiful, at least some of us. But you blend us all together and we can be a beautiful picture for God, amen? I'm trying to help (laughs) y'all. The writer of Hebrews said, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. Why is that so important, Pastor? Dr. Evans says, living like spiritual, a spiritual hermit cuts you off from a potential source of enormous blessings. That potential source that he's referring to here is the local church. And by remaining disconnected to a spiritual community like the local church, you're missing out on a great many of God's blessings and also his benefits. You and I, we live in a world that specializes in tearing things down and not building things up, and especially when it comes to people in their lives. My dad taught me from the time I was a young boy that this is a dog-eat-dog world that we live in. He told me that there are people out there that will climb over you in a heartbeat to get to the top. He said they will destroy you and your integrity to get what they want. And oh my, have we seen that this week. But friends, listen, this is not supposed to be the way things work in the church, amen? Dr. Charles Stanley said in our world, humility is not considered a desirable thing. Character quality. We're encouraged to promote ourselves and to boast of our, of our achievements, asserting our right to be heard. But, but in the kingdom of God, meekness is an essential attribute for believers to demonstrate. Why? He says it's because humility was an integral character quality of Christ. If you remember, Jesus humbly submitted himself to the authority of his heavenly father. He lovingly submitted himself to the father's plan and he gave up all of his earthly rights so that he could rescue you and me from our sin. Jesus was a humble servant that was was not demanding in any way. He was God and could have demanded everything, but he demanded nothing. He was a servant first. He was a team player. He said the greatest among you must be a servant. That's why here at Harvest, if you can't serve, you can't lead. It's just that simple. We look for humble servants and not for people who run over people and want what they want. Jesus has told us what we need to be. Friends, it takes humble servants to grow the kingdom of God and to grow a kingdom church. And it's been my desire from the very first day that this would not be my church, but it would be a kingdom church. It would be God's church. And I believe that's what we are. God has called us to be spiritual encouragers That way God receives all the glory that he deserves, and and the body of Christ grows in a way that's pleasing him. He emphatically says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18 that we are to comfort and encourage each other. In in chapter 5, verse 11, he said we're supposed to encourage each other and build each other up. And I want you to note the importance that all of that encouraging is to be done within the context of of the local church fellowship, a church family, the church. I'm talking about a body of believers who belong to each other. I'm talking about spiritual neighbors. Thank God for spiritual neighbors, amen? We need them. Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, so it is with Christ's body. The church, we're all parts of his one body and each of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. I quoted Rick Warren a couple of weeks ago where he said, you're called to belong and not just believe. Belong, not just believe. He said, even in the perfect, sinless environment of Eden, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. We were created for community, fashioned for fellowship, formed for a family, and none of us, none of us can fulfill God's purpose by ourselves. We need each other. There are a whole lot of benefits that come from belonging to a local church family there are some neighborhood benefits of a spiritual nature that we get to enjoy when we engage in the body of Christ. There are several benefits that come along with being a member of a loving, faithful, follower of Jesus kind of church. Three in particular that I want to come bring to mind this morning. The first is this. Committing yourself through church membership will help you to move away from self centered isolation. You think about that. Self-centered isolation. What we don't realize is that because of our sin, we tend to pull away from God into spiritual isolation. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden when they sinned against God? They ran. They hid. They tried to. They were isolating themselves from God. It is our nature to do that. Lostness is spiritual isolation in the extreme. Folks, accepting Christ brings us back to God through spiritual adoption. By faith in Christ, we can become and do become a part of the body of Christ, the family of God. It is in the spiritual classroom of the local church that we learn how to get along as the family of God. It is a practical lab, if you please, for where we learn unselfish, sympathetic love for each other. It's just like God to make us so different and to put us together under one roof and say, get along, (laughs) be happy, have fun together. Guys, it's impossible to do without submission to the spirit of God. But through his spirit and through the word of God working in us, we can become a people that love like God loves. And that's, that's why we do what we do. That's why we love that way is because God is leading our church. I pastored four churches and this is, this is the one church that I would say is the most God-led church I've pastored in 29 years. Thank you. Thank you. When you choose to be a participating member you know, you get a chance to care for, the, for other people and to share in everyday experiences that they go through. That, that, that's what I was doing yesterday. When I went to have a part in preaching Gary Farmer's funeral, I, as a part of the church, not just as his pastor, but I, as a part of the church, got to experience what that family was going through. And I said to Marty, Marty, you're you're at a, point, you're at a place that you've never been before. I said to the kids, you've never been there either. But Jesus has. And he he knows how to take care of you. How do I know that? He took care of me when I lost my parents. He took care of Joyce when she lost her parents. We understand that. God has an amazing ability to take care of us in the midst of storms like the farmers are going through right now. Paul writes that if one part of the body suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. That's family. Or if one part of the body is honored, all the other parts share its honor. Together, he says. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of that body. Praise God. Rick Warren says, only in regular contact with ordinary, imperfect believers. I'm at the head of that line. (laughs) Ordinary and imperfect. He says there we can learn real fellowship and experience the New Testament truth of being connected and dependent on each other. And he defines biblical fellowship this way. He says it is being as committed to each other as you are to Jesus Christ. God expects us to give our lives for each other. In fact, if you look at the example of Jesus, John 3, 16, a verse that any Christian who's been a Christian for very long ought to have memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave because he loves But are you aware that in 1 John 3, 16, anybody quote that? I did think so. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus cried, laid down, Christ laid down his life for us, for the church, for spiritual neighbors. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If we love like Christ loved, we will love our neighbors like he loved us. There needs to be a willingness to love our brothers and sisters in a way that God loves us. Church life certainly helps to facilitate that happening. And I'm glad it does. Here's the second thing that I saw from studying God's word this week. By committing yourself through the local church, you can be on mission for God. There are a lot of people out there that say, you know, I can can know God and I can serve God and I can do things for God without being connected to the church. Do you understand, based on the word of God, that the church will always be the primary institution that God does his work through There are parachurch organizations out there, but God has chose to work through the church. Think about it, God worked through the physical body of Christ when he was here on earth. Well, guess what, Jesus isn't here any longer, is he? He's seated right now at the right hand of the Father, just waiting for the Father to say to him, go get my people. But just because Jesus is in heaven doesn't mean God is not working. God is still working today Right here on this earth. You want to know how? He's working through the church. As imperfect as we are, he is working through us. Jesus said, the truth is anyone who believes in me will do the same work that I have done and even even greater work because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be with the Father. When Paul was writing his letter to the church there in Ephesus, he reminded them of these words. He said, "We are God's masterpiece." Who is he talking to? Who is he writing to? He was writing to the church. He says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do things that he planned for us long ago. As members of the body of Christ, the church, we are the hands and the feet and the eyes and ears of Jesus. I've said it this way. You today are the physical manifestation of God on earth. If, God, if, the, if the world wants to see God, where are they going to look? They're going to look to the church. And there are people that are watching us every day of our lives, trying to make their mind up, about whether they believe that there is a God or whether they're going to accept God. And, and you, you, you heard this, your life may be the only sermon that some people will ever hear, the only Bible that some people will ever read. But people are getting a feel for God based on looking at you who claim to be a Christian. And I, I, you know, I wake up sometimes scared to death because of thinking back to what I might have said and what I might have done. Those times when I'm coming up to the red light and that sucker turns red on me and I have to stop and I go, I know I'm not the only one that does that because I've seen some of you. (laughs) We won't discuss that today. Each of us, as a part of the body of Christ, has a work to do. We are called to be on mission with God through the church. Through the church. Here's the third thing, and probably the most important thing I'm going to say today, but committing yourself through the church, through church membership, certainly identifies you as a genuine believer. I always know when college football season is in. Because you wear your hats and you wear your shirts. <laughs> your jerseys. With your favorite college logo on them. Some of you even promote your favorite school year round. You have bumper stickers. You have magnetic Stickers on the side of your car, you have them posted in your windows. Every now and then you'll see a car going down the road and there's two flags, go blah, 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 blah. blah. Just a flopping in the wind and you have got your favorite team being advertised there. Several years ago I was uh, up at Richmond at the Richmond Speedway with Eddie Centerfit, a a a godly humble servant, if you knew Eddie. How many of you remember Eddie? Some of you do, he was with us when we first started. He's with the Lord today and so is Elaine. We were walking through the crowd. There was thousands of people there. And I noticed this lady coming at me. And um, You wouldn't see her on Sunday morning probably. But she was there. And she had Dale Earnhardt tattooed, his picture tattooed on her arm. I mean, whoever did it did a great job. There was, there was no doubt who it was. This was Dale Earnhardt. And I thought, I wonder who she's going to root for to win today. <laughs> I hope she doesn't change drivers. I mean, you know, she's kind of stuck there. But anyway, church membership is one way that you identify yourself as a true believer, and besides that, is extremely important to the kingdom of God and his agenda. You know the outside world could rightly ask the question: How can anyone claim to be a follower of Christ when they're not a part of a church who belongs to God? And the world will ask that question. Jesus said, "You love you love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples." It, it is it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful witness to the world when. We come together in love as a church family from all different races, from all different backgrounds, and even social statuses. It's an amazing testimony. People look at us and go, wow, that's the church. We see that when we do Family Fun Day and people come and they're around us or when we do Harvest Day and people are around us. The more we penetrate the community, that's the kind of comment that we hear. Folks, you cannot be the body of Christ on your own. It's an impossible task, an impossible job. No individual believer makes up the body of Christ. We only do that when we all come together as the church. Together and not separated, we are the body of Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, in Christ's family there can be no division. There shouldn't be. Among us, he says, you are all equal. There is That is, we are all in com- a common relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, now you are, are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. I've done a lot of studying in Acts chapter 2 over the last several months and, and it, it clearly is seen in that passage of scripture that all the New Testament believers, they identified with Jesus in two very profound and powerful ways. First of all, they were all baptized by immersion publicly in the name of Jesus. Now, you gotta understand, this is happening in Jerusalem and there, all, all those first believers were, were Jews. And so when when a Jew accepted Christ and they were willing to publicly be baptized, they were saying to the entire community that they were no longer faithful Jews, but now they're gonna be faithful Christians. They've stepped across the line. They've changed sides. And, And that public commitment of being baptized publicly, it marked their lives forever. And so what happened was, they were literally abandoned by their people. That's why Paul is off in other places, in other churches trying to take up an offering to take it back to Jerusalem to feed Christians. Why? Because they're starving to death. Why? Because their community abandoned them when they changed sides, when they became Christians. So did their families. Their Jewish bosses fired them. They no longer had a job. They couldn't make money. The Jewish baker quit selling them bread. They didn't have bread to eat. The, the butcher quit selling them meat. They didn't have meat to eat. Their Jewish family, their, their mom and their dad, totally rejected them and never spoke to them again because they came, became Christians. And in some cases, they even had a public funeral for their dead children because that's the way they treated them for the rest of their life, as if they were dead. Can you imagine walking down the street and your mom and dad pass you and they don't even speak? They don't even respond when you say, hey mom, hey dad, how you doing? I can't imagine that. But even though that was the situation, those new Christians loved Jesus so much that they were willing to risk everything to be baptized publicly. Demonstrating their faith. They paid a high price to follow Jesus. But follow Jesus they did. It was a public expression of their faith. And they did that through believers baptism. They also joined the, the, the Christian church there in Jerusalem. We see that in, in Acts 2.41. It says those who accepted his message, and we're talking about Peter's message, they didn't just accept the message and say, oh, that was a good message. No, they believed what Peter preached, and Peter preached about Jesus, and so they accepted Jesus, and as a result of that, they were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Verse 47, it says, and the Lord added to their number, to the church daily, those who were being saved. Folks, the Lord was just doing what he promised he would do. He said, I'm going to build my church one precious soul at a time. And you know, these early Christians, as they were being added to that church, they were not ashamed to identify with him or with his church. They weren't ashamed. They risk everything. And Jesus said this, if a person is ashamed of me and my message in this, in these adulterous and sinful days, then I, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of that person when I return in the glory of my Father with the holy angel. I read from First Thessalonians chapter 4 yesterday at Gary's funeral. Because I wanted, to it, I wanted to remind that family of what God said about people who die in Christ. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You'll put a body in the grave or you'll cremate it. Gary was cremated. That's Okay. One day God's going to take those ashes and he's going to put them all back together and make him a resurrected body. We live again, folks. I've read the end of the book. I know the end of the story. I'm excited about that. I I, I talked to them yesterday about Gary because Gary, Gary had a body that was riddled with brokenness. He had crashed a lot of dirt bikes and a lot of cars in his life. And there wasn't a day that Gary lived that he didn't hurt. But Gary's not hurting anymore. He's not sick with cancer anymore. He's with Jesus. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Jesus said, don't be ashamed of me, in the day that you live. If you do, then when I come back, I'm going to be ashamed of you. How do you identify to the world that you're a Christian? How do you identify? There are no secret society believers. God wants us to be on display. And the way he does that the most is through membership in a local church I wonder are you willing to identify with Christ are you willing I know people and I know of churches where you can slide in and you can be unknown you don't want anybody to know you're a Christian you just want to come in and just be there Harvest is not one of those churches. We want you to come flame for Jesus, shine for Jesus, burn for Jesus, be on fire. It's okay for you to come on fire for Jesus and let some of it rub off on me. I like that. How do you identify with the body of Christ? Big question. Let's pray. Father, I'm glad and I'm <sighs> I'm happy. I've been a blessed man this week. Everywhere I've turned, I've seen blessings. And God, I just want to thank you that somehow in every blessing that I've enjoyed this week, there has been a root connected to the church. And you've just reminded me of that. Church is important. It's special. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for starting us. Thank you for giving us a place in eternity. Thank you for the promise that one day you will rapture this church and we will be removed from this earth. Thank you, Lord, that every time a part of your body dies... We are ushered into your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we're your bride. Thank you, Lord, that you let us live as your body. Help us, God, to take serious our responsibility to the church. Because as we commit ourselves to the church, we're really committing ourselves to you. Because as Rick Warren says, the church is God's agenda in the world today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for challenging us with that thought today. Help us to be good church people, good spiritual neighbors that love you and love your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.